Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Heming Brainiac podcast, chapter 6 of book 14. What do you make of Tikon at this point? Why do you think he killed that guy? And what do you think this is motive? And what do you think is motivating him? He's just a crazy, crazy, crazy person. Stephen Foxbat has a good point. Is this the Tikon from Bald Hills? If so, I guess he's a free agent. Maybe he feels morally and fatally liberated. The Rambo effect. FFS, for freak's sake, just looked it up, and I think it's a different bloke, same name, of course. I think you're right, I think it's a different bloke. Uh, the Tikon from Bald Hills, who was the, um, I, I don't know, servant of old man Bolkonski, um, was much older. Um, different person, different person. So, good to clear that up, though. Twisted Every Way says this chapter was such a diversion from what's going on. All these little side plots are concerning to me that we don't have enough time to wrap up what will be most become of most of the characters we've followed up to this point. A valid concern. We are nearly at the end of the book. Brett Peterson said this. Petra was more interesting to me in this chapter. He seems to be becoming more like Berg, just playing the role that is expected of him instead of acting as he would like to. That seems to be a theme of this book. From what I've read, Tolstoy's family were kind of weird, and I wonder if this is a bit of a commentary on how he viewed the upper-class Russians of his day. FDLP1 says, The concluding part of the chapter suggests to me that Tikhon killed his French prisoner for his boots, but threw, or perhaps stashed, the boots away since Denisov's group would recognise his motive if he showed up with new boots, but no prisoner. An eerie ending, rounding out that as jovial and good-natured as his group appears, this is still a war. Petcha suddenly realised Tikon had killed the man. He felt quite queasy. He stole a glance at the boy prisoner and felt a pang in his heart. Tikon be crazy. Tikon do be crazy. Um, okay, chapter 7 is where we're up to, and it goes like this. Petcha. Having left his people after their departure from Moscow, joined his regiment and was soon taken as orderly by a general commanding a large guerrilla detachment. From the time he received his commission, and especially since he had joined the activity, sorry, joined the active army and taken part in the Battle of Vyazma, Petya had been in a constant state of blissful excitement at being grown up, and in a perpetual ecstasy, hurry, ecstatic hurry, not to miss any chance to do something really heroic. He was highly delighted with what he saw and experienced in the army, but at the same time, it always seemed to him that the really heroic exploits were being performed just where he did not happen to be, and he was always in a hurry to get where he was not. When, on the 21st of October, his general expressed as a wish to send somebody to Denisov's detachment, Petya begged so piteously to be sent that the general could not refuse but when dispatching him he recalled Petya's mad action at the battle of Vyazma where instead of riding by the road to the place to which he had been sent he had galloped to the advanced line under the fire of the French and had there twice fired his pistol so now the general explicitly forbade his taking part in any action whatever of Denisov's that was why Petya had blushed and grown confused when Denisov asked him whether he could stay, 
Before they had ridden to the outskirts of the forest, Pitcher had considered he must carry out his instructions strictly and return at once. But when he just saw the French and saw to Con and learned that there would certainly be an attack that night, he decided with the rapidity with which young people changed their views that the general, whom he had greatly respected till then, was a rubbishy German, that Denisov was a hero, the Assault a hero, and Tikon a hero too, and that it would be shameful for him to leave them at a moment of difficulty. It was already growing dark when Denisov, Petcher, and the Assault rode up to the watchhouse in the twilight, saddled horses could be seen, and Cossacks and Hussars, who had rigged up rough shelters in the glade and were kindling glowing fires in a hollow of the forest where, where the French could not see the smoke. In the passage of the small watchhouse, a Cossack with sleeves rolled up was chopping some mutton. In the room, three officers of Denisov's band were converting a door into a tabletop. Petya took off his wet clothes, gave them to be dried, and at once began helping the officers to fix up the dinner table. In ten minutes, the table was ready and the napkin spread on it. On the table were vodka, a flask of rum, white bread, roast mutton, and salt. Sitting at table with the officers and tearing the fat savoury mutton with his hands down which the grease trickled, Petra was in an ecstatic childish state of love for all men and consequently of consequently of confidence that others loved him in the same way. So then what do you think Vasily Dmitrich? said he to Denisov. It's all right my staying a day with you and not waiting for a reply he answered his own question. You see I was told to find out. Well I am finding out, only do let me into the very, into the chief. I don't want a reward, but I want... Petya clenched his teeth and looked around, throwing back his head and flourishing his arms. Into the very chief, Denisov repeated with a smile. Only please let me command something so that I may really command, Petya went on. What would it be to you? Oh, you want a knife, he said, turning to an officer who wished to cut himself a piece of mutton. And he handed him his clasp knife. The officer admired it. Please keep it, I have several like it, said De- said Petya, blushing. Heavens, I was quite forgetting, he suddenly cried. I have some raisins, fine ones, you know, seedless ones. We have a new sutler, and he has such capital things. I bought ten pounds. I'm used to something sweet. Would you like some? And Petya ran out into the passage to his Cossack and brought back some bags which contained about five pounds of raisins. Have some, gentlemen, have some. You want a coffee pot, don't you, he asked the Assault. I bought a capital one from our sutler. He has splendid things, and he's very honest. That's the chief thing. I'll be sure to send it to you. Or perhaps your flints are giving out, or are worn out. That happens sometimes, you know. I have brought some with me. Here they are. And he showed a bag, a hundred flints. I bought them very cheap. Please, take as many as you want, or all if you like. Then suddenly, dismayed, lest he had said too much, Petya stopped and blushed. He tried to remember whether he had not done anything else that was foolish, and running over the events of the day, he remembered the French drummer boy. It's capital for us here, but what of him? Wherever they put him, have they fed him? Haven't they hurt his feelings, he thought, but having caught himself saying too much about the flints, he was now afraid to speak out. I might ask, he thought, but they'll all say he's a boy himself, and he so pities the boy. I'll show them tomorrow whether I'm a boy. Will it seem odd if I ask? Petya thought, well, never mind. And immediately, blushing, and looking anxiously at the officers to see if they appeared ironical, he said, May I call in that boy who was taken prisoner and giving him something to eat, perhaps? 
Yes, he's a poor little fellow, said Denisov, who evidently saw nothing shameful in this reminder. Call him in. His name is Vincent Bose. Have him fetched. I'll call him, said Petra. Yes, yes, call him. A poor little fellow, Denisov repeated. Petra was standing at the door when Denisov said this. He slipped in between the officers, came close to Denisov and said, Let me kiss you, dear old fellow. Oh, how fine, how splendid. And having kissed Denisov, he ran out of the hut. Boss, Vincent, Petra cried, stopping outside the door. Who do you want, sir? asked a voice in the darkness. Petra replied that he wanted the French lad who had been captured that day. Ah, Vicini, said a Cossack. Vincent, the boy's name, had already been changed by the Cossacks into Vassini, Vernal, and into Vassinia by the peasants and soldiers. In both these adaptations, the reference to spring, Vesna, matched the impression made by the young lad. He is warming himself by the bonfire. Oh, Vassinia, Vassinia, Vassini! Laughing voices were heard calling to one another in the darkness. He's a smart lad, said Hussar, standing next to Petra. We gave him something to eat a while ago. He was awfully hungry. The sound of bare feet splashing through the mud was heard in the darkness, and the drummer boy came to the door. Ah, c'est vous, said Petra. Vous manger n'as pas onen de mal, he added shyly and affectionately touching the boy's hand. And trez, and trez. Ah, it's you. Do you want something to eat? Don't be afraid. They won't hurt you. Come in, come in. Merci, monsieur, said the drummer boy. Thank you, sir. In a trembling, almost childish voice, and he began scraping his dirty feet on the threshold. There were many things Petra wanted to say to the drummer boy, but did not dare to. He stood irresolutely beside him in the passage. Then, in the darkness, he took the boy's hand and pressed it. Come in, come in, he repeated in a gentle whisper. Oh, what can I do for him, he thought. And opening the door, he let the boy pass in first. When the boy had entered the hut, Petra sat down at a distance from him, considering it beneath his dignity to pay attention to him. But he fingered the money in his pocket and wondered whether it would seem ridiculous to give some to the drummer boy. Alright, there we go. Petra, just seeming so young. He's just a boy. Alright, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.